This is Briar Klopp, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Greenbush, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Sierra Doctor. We begin with Harvest Hotline. Harvest Hotline brought to you by Amity Technology, the North Dakota Mill, Ag Country Farm Credit Services, and Pivot Bio. North Dakota Grain Dealers Executive Vice President Stu Letcher says country elevators across North Dakota had a very smooth harvest season. You know, I heard it was uh, actually a, a, a pretty good harvest. Um, you know, if you would have if you would have said that we were going to be done at the uh, the end of October or done by Halloween with the majority harvest this May, I would have told you you were crazy. But uh, uh, you know, dry October and uh, crop came off nicely, and it sounds like they had a pretty nice crop too. It just went. Uh, real smooth into one in one crop into the next and and uh you know especially with the yields we had uh it's kind of surprising and letcher says there are a few acres of sunflowers left to harvest you know i heard there's pretty good yields and you know uh there there is uh, a lot of acres out there this year um and i think there probably maybe is still an acre or two out there but uh yeah i heard the sunflower crop turned out pretty nice so i think they're the guys that put it in are happy Pioneer sales representative Ron Truax says harvest went well around the Litchville, North Dakota area. Most of it's done. There's a little bit of corn coming off yet, but um, overall harvest went well. Of course, the the weather was just ideal for harvest. The um, we're, it's plenty dry if people are looking for some moisture. But other than that, um, you know, beautiful weather for for harvesting corn and beans. You know, in general, uh, most most of the crop was was better or much better than expected so it uh, it's not a bumper crop but it I would say overall above average crop it was a good crop although there aren't a lot of sunflower acres near him Truax heard sunflowers did have excellent yields some people uh, farther west they work with a little bit sunflower crop is phenomenal um, there's you know flowers in the 3,000 3,500 pound uh, range which is just awesome Bismarck-based National Weather Service meteorologist Nathan Heinert says the winter system that swept through the upper Midwest starting Wednesday night is tapering out now in northern Minnesota. Yeah, most of the, uh, the storm is pretty much uh, off to our east now. Um, most uh, snowfall anymore across uh, the Dakotas, uh, pretty much over. There's still some uh, snow across uh, parts of Minnesota. They're accumulating, say, parts of northern Minnesota uh, from the northern Red River Valley through the uh, Boundary Waters area. Uh, they're still seeing some snowfall up there, uh, but otherwise across like north and south Dakota, we're pretty much is uh, pretty much done. Just have some snow flurries today. Snowfall totals as much as 20 inches of snow in central North Dakota. If you go from uh, parts of western South Dakota, the Black Hills didn't see too much of this, uh, maybe an inch up to three inches. You get into northwestern South Dakota, anywhere from five to seven inches. Stretch into southwestern North Dakota, where we had anywhere from seven inches at Rame and Bowman. And then uh, totals really start picking up as you get into like the Dickinson area uh, through Bismarck. Uh, we had uh, 14 inches of snow reported in New England, uh, North Dakota, south of Dickinson. Dickinson itself saw anywhere from 11 to 12 inches. Uh, farther to the east, uh, into Bismarck-Mandan area, pretty significant amounts. We had anywhere from 20 to 24 inches in Mandan. 
And that system kind of tapered off in southeastern North Dakota with Fargo uh, accumulating about an inch. Jamestown had around 7 inches. Northwestern Minnesota had as much as 8 to 11 inches of snow. And that's Harvest Hotline brought to you by Pivot Bio, Ag Country Farm Credit Services, the North Dakota Mill, and Amity Technology. There are 68 new legislators coming to St. Paul in January. Political analyst Floyd Olson spoke at the Minnesota Egg and Food Summit, indicating it is a time of significant change. But a third of the legislature is new, and then you add to that the people who won in 2020, which was about 20% new, and you're almost up to 50% that nobody's actually lobbied, engaged with, met with in person. That's because Minnesota House and only hosted committees and met with constitu constituents virtually during the pandemic. Olson said the Republican brand was damaged in this election. Republicans are wondering what the future looks like. I don't know. But if you can't win in the suburbs in Minnesota, you can't be a statewide majority party. You just can't right now with this map. Now we can have recessions and we can have all kinds of different issues, but let's remember that the Senate is for four years, and Governor Walls is for four years. And so this isn't a two-year cycle for Republicans. It'll be a longer rebuild. State Senator Mark Johnson of East Grand Forks will serve as the minority leader in the upcoming session. The new DFL majority elected Kerry Dizik uh, of Minneapolis as the Senate, my, um, Senate majority leader. In the House, Melissa Hortman of Fridley was re-elected as Speaker. The new, minority, uh, new majority leader is Representative Jamie Long of Minneapolis. Net 2022 beef sales for the week ending November 3rd are reported at 13,700 metric tons in the weekly export sales report from USDA. Beef shipments for week totaled 18,000 tons, going primarily to Japan, South Korea, China, Mexico, and Canada. Net 2022 pork sales are reported at 11,000 metric tons. Pork shipments of 28,000 tons were primarily to Mexico, China, Japan, South Korea, and the Dominican Republic. Barged grain movement for the week ending November 5th totaled 639,000 tons. That's 18% more than the previous week, 4% more than a year ago. 440 barges moved down river, 101 more than the previous week. The cost to ship a metric ton of grain to Japan from the Gulf Coast, $58. That's 6% less than the previous week. And uh, out of the Pacific Northwest to Japan, that cost is $34 per ton. That's 4% less than the previous week. USDA's weekly grain transportation report says the St. Louis barge rate during the week of November 8th fell 49% from the previous week to $40.75 per ton. That is the lowest rate since the week of September 20th. Reporting agriculture's business, you're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Market diversification has long been a top priority for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. U.S. MEF President and CEO Dan Hallstrom says the industry is committed to developing new and emerging markets for red meat exports. That the U.S. is the most well-positioned uh, supplier in the world. We're not overly dependent on one or two countries. So we're diversifying export terms, especially vis-a-vis -vis China. On the basis of percent of production exported, 
On the beef side, the U.S. exports 3% of our beef production to China. Uruguay exports 58% of theirs. New Zealand, 44% of theirs goes to China. Brazil, 18% of their production goes to China. Australia, 14% of their production goes to China. We're at three. I like where we're sitting on that. We're not as exposed if something were to happen. And Hallstrom says demand for U.S. meat has remained solid. But at what point does global disposable income become an issue where some of these countries where it's 40 or 50 percent of their income goes to food, at what point do they start scaling back? And uh, we probably are starting to see some evidence of it. Um, hopefully it doesn't creep up and, and really impact demand even more negatively than it already has. Cattlefax CEO Randy Black was at the U.S. Meat Export Federation Strategic Planning Conference this week in Oklahoma City. Black spoke about beef processing expansion at the conference and says labor shortages are a huge obstacle packing plants are facing. I think the, the message in here when you see these new plants coming online at the same time that we've got fed cattle supplies declining, you say, well, the timing's terrible. And I would just ask all of you out there, let's make sure we've got our assumptions right. Are we going to continue to have a workforce that is willing to run these plants, to work in these plants on Saturdays? Again, if we look at the last several years, we've harvested two and a half million head of cattle roughly on Saturdays, fed cattle on Saturdays. The new plants that are coming online will roughly offset that if they all come online here in 24 and 25. I think that's a reality of where we are today with our workers in the United States. And Black says increasing packer capacity could be a double-edged sword. I have this view on it. We know margins are going to get tight for the packers at some point in here over the next several years. But the U.S. cow herd cannot grow, it will not grow, if we don't increase this packing capacity. That was a limiting factor on how many cattle that we could actually grow back into our nation's cow herd when we were at our peak in 2019. It'll be, a, it'll be a limiting factor for years to come if we don't expand it. According to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker, estimated beef packer margins for the week ending November 5th were $70 per head. That's up $4 per head from the previous week, but down 90% from the estimated margins a year ago. Choice beef cutouts are also seeing tighter margins for packers compared to a year ago at $258.95 a hundredweight. That's down 9% from last year. Renewable diesel is a hot topic at the U.S. Canola Association's autumn board meeting this week in Scottsdale, Arizona. Northern Canola Growers Association Executive Director Barry Coleman says how canola is treated in the Inflation Reduction Act is key. And it's looking pretty positive. We've got industry folks down in the southern Great Plains who are looking at reviving some crushed plants down there to have local delivery points for winter canola production in that region. So things are looking up down there. Um, I guess the uh, talk on the renewable fuels is that uh, they're looking at how the growers are going to be able to supply the needs going forward because there's going to be a tremendous demand for renewable diesel and, and sustainable aviation fuel going forward. Coleman says renewable diesel will be a game changer for all oil seeds. Certainly will be. They're, they're talking more and more about, you know, if, if a lot more stored oil is used for biofuels, canola will be the oil that will fill the gap created in the food market since it's uh, that's, that is the highest and best use for, for canola oil. So 
in one way or another, it looks like the oilseed growers are going to be in a sustained higher price environment for the next several years, according to what people are saying. Get the latest news and weather updates anytime by listening to the Red River Farm Network podcast. You can listen at rrfn.com, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture. Let's catch up with Ag Week reporter Mikkel Pates. Mikkel, what do you have for us in the cover of Ag Week? Well, this is kind of a story about, uh, kind of the anti-story about inflation and new equipment uh, costs. I uh, did an interview with a fellow from out in uh, the Mandan, North Dakota area that's uh, uh, a rancher and farmer, and he uh, farms pretty much all of his farming with uh Case IH uh, vintage equipment from the 60s, 70s, and 80s primarily. And uh, so it's kind of uh, one way to beat inflation, I guess. Yeah, and you can pick up some really good cheap horsepower that way, too. And, and all, pretty much even like combines, everything else, too. Well, yeah, and I, you know, he's acquired it across the years. And to say how long, I mean, some of his old trucks are from the 50s of a, that his dad bought new. And uh, he's a big uh, international harvester uh, proponent and is, uh, even has an international harvester um, refrigerator that his family bought uh, uh, in 1951 when they got rural elect- electrification. And so it's uh, Leroy and Rosemary Helbling from South Amandan there, and kind of just a, a fun story about how you can make it work if if you know how to fix things. Yeah, for sure. Michael, that sounds interesting. Looking forward to reading about it next week's Ag Week. And let's catch up with uh, futures numbers here before we leave you this afternoon. Uh, December wheat, Minneapolis, uh, 12 and a half cents higher, 944. March is up 11 and three quarters at 956 and a quarter. Chicago, December wheat's nine and a half higher, and Kansas City's up 17 and three quarters. December corn, six and a half higher at 659 and three quarters. March up four and three quarters. January soybeans, 25 and a quarter higher at 1448 and a quarter. March up 24 and three quarters. December live cattle down $1.42 at 1516. February down $1.62. November feeder cattle down $1.62 at 177. January feeder cattle down $3.02. December lean hogs down 57 cents at 84.30. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 48 points. This is the Red River Farm Network.